Hello, and welcome to Wild Women, the Wild Swimming Podcast. I'm Laura McDonald. Very quick introduction today, because I want you to get into the warm, gently inspirational company that is today's guest. But as always, some quick podmin. That's podcast admin. Yes, I'm portmanteauing now. Do you hate it? I'm going to keep using it until you beg me to stop. Those pleas for clemency towards the English language can happen via Facebook or Instagram at Wild Women Pod. If you tag me in your swim pics, then I will share them on my stories for my hashtag Cheer Up Tuesdays. In honour of today's guest, I also want to hear your stories of inspirational teachers and fantastic, memorable school trips over on the Facebook page. If you enjoy the podcast and want to keep it going, then you can support my Patreon for as little as a posh coffee a month. Well, £3. Patrons will have access to exclusive Wild Women content, merch, and early ad-free access to episodes. Ad-free? Yes! So far, all Wild Women episodes have been ad-free. But I need to cover the costs of this podcast, so goes with capitalism. However, I'm hoping to work with creatives and brands who, like me, are running small, independent businesses, rather than spamming your ears with the nonsense that you don't really want. Ideally, they will be swim and environmentally focused, and exactly the kind of business that you, my lovely listeners, are interested in supporting. I'm plugging away at this behind the scenes, but if you have any ideas, please DM me at WildWomenPod on Facebook or Instagram. Okay. That's all of the podmen done for the day, so sit back and enjoy my natter with Neil Adams. Neil is a teacher up in Le Havre and has taken his passion for wild swimming into the classroom. He has a deep, understated passion for teaching that is truly inspirational to witness. There are a couple of glitchy audio moments because Zoom recording and rural winter broadband really don't mix. I hope they don't spoil their enjoyment. We get into the importance of having the proper qualifications the educational magic powers of water, and one incredible commute. So whereabouts on that scale do you put yourself? Oh, at the, uh, the, second, the second lowest in terms of athleticism, yes. <laughs> I, I, swim, I swim more than dip. But I don't go very far. It's all part of a, a sort of daily fun routine for mental and physical health. You were saying that you've actually got quite an interesting commute. Is it true that you? Uh, is it true that you swim? Yes, I mean, I I moved up here from Cornwall, and when I lived in Cornwall, I could I used to cycle between school and home. And I could stop by at the sea on the way back and I would often go for a swim then. Um, and it dawned on me quite, quite a while into living here that actually the, the river that flowed past the back of my house through a, a, a gorge with lots of waterfalls and rapids did actually join the river that then flowed past my school. So I thought at the back of my mind that, you know, that this has to be done at some stage. And eventually it became part of a, a wee package where I decided over the course of a, a year or two, I'd try and get to school by swimming, by kayaking. I can go across the Caledonian Canal and do that. By walking across the Munro tops, uh, by cycling and by skiing. Well, of course, the cycling's easy because I do that all the time. So that was ticked off. But the, the others were a little bit more challenging. But the, the swim one I did do, 
I did it in sections to start with, just to sort of sort out the safety angle and how much I could do and how long it would take. And although I swam the gorge section here on a few occasions, it's very long and it's a little bit dangerous. So I decided I'd cycle down to the main river Lockie and then I'd go down there to school. And that's about five miles from the Andering River. So I would start, I suppose I would get up at about five and try to get in the river at 5.30 and then I'd get down to school for between 7.30 and 8. And it was wow. it was truly wonderful, the most fantastic experience. That sounds um, amazing. Sorry, you're in quite a beautiful part of the world, aren't you? You're up in Le Harbour. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the school the school is in Fort William and I live north of it. So fortunately I'm upstream because there's no way I do it the other way. Um, and, you know, you go, you go through and, I mean, particularly, particularly sort of September, October time when the air is a little bit chilled and there's the first snow on the top of the hills and there's mist rising off the river and the sun shines on you and you swim quietly along. And I got to know the wildlife spots over the years as well. And by the way, I don't do this every day. The children at school say to me quite often, oh, you're the person who swims to school. And I say, well, it's not an eternal truth. I've done it, yes. Um, but, you know, I remember watching watching a family of otters playing as I was swimming by one day, and I've seen pine marten and deer um, having a drink from the side. And the last couple of years there's a meander where there's a kingfisher and the kingfisher's given me a fly past on a couple of occasions and earlier this year um we have a we have a colony of sand martins that nest in the uh, the sandbanks of the river and they they go crazy when the midges are out and they swoop around and i've actually had the top of my head brushed several times by sand martins as they take midges it's it's just beautiful uh, but they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the midges so you've got to be thankful for midges oh uh, yeah yeah that that's a challenging step the highland midge for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of a formal introduction are tiny bitey devils that are the linking step turning our food chain into a complete circle they may be dinner for a happy sand martin but you are dinner for the midgey. And what a meal of you they will make. From the late spring onwards, they have a habit of collecting in clouds in just the sort of spot that you would like to stop and enjoy the view. A lockside pub or a picnic bench by a pretty river? Aye, no. Unless you want that pint to taste a lot like insect repellent and citronella, and even then you are unlikely to be comfortable sitting outside. On the pleasure pain seesaw, you just can't have a place as beautiful and fun as Scotland without something to balance it out. We have the weather, and we have midges. If you are planning a trip to Scotland at some point, and you should be, it's worth having a look at the midgey forecast and preparing accordingly. You'll find a link in the show notes. Obviously you uh, work as a teacher, and you also mentioned you've taught wild swimming as well. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of evolved slowly over the years but but basically when I when I used to teach in Cornwall I remember one occasion when we were doing some work 
down at the coast and it was just the most beautiful day and the youngsters said oh can we go in for a swim and the answer of course was always no I mean you know we're not we're not allowed to let you in for a swim and uh, it just seemed the most ridiculous thing because you know water and children go together naturally so back in those days I ended up with a life-saving qualification and since I've been up in Loch Abba now, we've um, we've kind of, I think we've got about eight staff now with an open water safety qualification. So it started as geography field work where, you know, traditionally you'd go down and you'd perhaps measure the speed of flow in a river and, you know, you throw something in and you sit there and you write something down. And again, the children just wanted to get in. So the next stage was to let them in and paddle. And then when you're actually qualified and you've got staff with you, you say, well, you know, get in and and see what the current's like. Um, And between two members of staff in the water, we used to do this. And and then, of course, you realise that all these youngsters are actually on nice days. They're going home and they're, they're actually taking some pretty big risks in where they go swimming. And at no point have they ever really received any um, safety training. So we kind of put together a course that we we teach to all the first years on water safety, where they risk assess and they, they look at all the potential trouble spots and difficulties. They look at where they can safely get in and they can get out. Um, we get them to think about what they do in the event of emergency and we get them practicing using tow ropes and tow floats. Um, so it's it evolved really into not just a bit of geography field work, but actually a, a focus with water safety and enjoying the outdoors. And it's been it's been magical. Um, you know, you get you get children in the water and it's a great it's a great equalizer you know between boys and girls between athletic and less athletic between academic and non-academic when they're in the water they're all equal they all have their own fears many of them have significant uh, if you like overestimation of their ability so one of the first things one of the first things we do is we put two members of staff five meters apart in waist deep water, and we say, right, in groups of four, we just want you to swim to the next member of staff. And they go, okay, but of course we're asking them to swim upstream, and they, they can't do it. You know, they they can't do it. I mean, you know, it's it's only going marginally faster than they can swim. But it, it really brings home to them the, the power of the current. Um, so we, we build it up from there and then we teach them to work with a current and how you use a current to get out and you don't try to fight against it. Um, so over the last few years, we've had, we've had well, I suppose several hundred children who've done this course and I'd like to think it it makes for a safer pastime for them when they go in on their own absolutely I feel like we could be doing with a lot more of this kind of education at the moment because there are 
just seem to be thousands of new swimmers this winter. Well, of course, the ironic thing is now that the very year that we could do with it is the very year we can't. Because, yeah. you know, obviously we, we're not distant from them. Um, and a lot of the, the council uh, bodies that organise risk assessments aren't operating at the moment. So of all years, it's, it's not happening now, which is a great shame. Um, and, and certainly in terms of mental health, I mean, you introduce water into a lesson. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether you have a, a glass of water and you drop a couple of drips onto somebody's head just to wake them up or whether you run to the river, the moment you involve water, the children are into it and they're excited and you, you've got them for that lesson. Um, you know, I've, I've had a few students over the years who kind of, you know, hands, hands on hips, oh, I'm not going in there. And you say, well, okay, just, just come along. And, and then, of course, a couple go in and then a couple more go in. And uh, I've even had people who thought, oh, fuck it. Sorry, sir. Sorry, sir. I didn't mean that. And they go in. And I say, we haven't taken your uniform. Oh, no, well. And uh, the, next, the next lesson, of course, I have, to, I have to suffer the consequences of that. But uh, for their mental health, it's wonderful. I mean, you know, you get children who you haven't seen smile for lesson after lesson, and suddenly they're totally into it. And, when you come to teach hydrology, it's much easier then. I bet it is. I think if you can if you can involve in a lesson as many of the senses as you can, in other words, not just listening and looking, but feeling, touching, being excited, being slightly scared, it's a lesson that they remember. And obviously geography lends itself to that. And if you have a river going next to the school, then for goodness sake, you know, use it. And I'm very lucky in that I've got a team of staff who've always been willing to do that. Um, so when I ask if there's somebody who will give me a hand, I've always got a group of people. Oh, that's they, they enjoy themselves. I mean, yeah. we've, we've, been in the, we've been in the river when a, a seal has popped up, and you know how inquisitive seals are because we're just at the sort of tidal limit of the Lockheed. And they'll pop up and they'll look and they'll see what's happening. And then we've climbed halfway up Ben Nevis to look at some rocks. And we've sat in a plunge pool as the sun's sort of been going down on the mountain. And a whole group of people having a wee meeting, sitting in a circle in this pool. It's, you know, it's the best way to teach. And it's definitely the best way to learn. I'm feeling very inspired. We used to take some school groups across to uh, to Lewis um, and Nicholson Institute and have sort of multi sports fixtures against them. And they had they had an old minibus that was really really rough, and uh, they they were very good. And they lent it to us in the evening so we could go out. And again, you know, we went we went to one of the beaches. They said that I can't remember the name, but a beautiful beach just north of uh, Stornoway. We went there for an evening and. Again, because I'm I'm qualified, and the children say, "Oh, can we go for a swim?" So it's yeah, that's fine. Yeah, just within this area has made such a difference over the years to be able to you know say yes to that rather than no. I've lived through some of the tragedies like the Lime Bay 
canoe disaster. Now, I hadn't heard about the Lime Bay disaster, so I decided to look it up. And then I ended up having a little cry because it's just so bloody sad. In summary then, four teenagers, Dean Sayre, Simon Dunn, Claire Langley and Rachel Walker, died on a sea kayaking trip in the Lime Bay area on the south coast of England. This happened on the 22nd of March 1993, when they, as part of a group of eight school children and their teacher, accompanied by two instructors from an outdoor centre, got into difficulties uh, as a result of a series of errors. The party had run into difficulty straight away, and then the group was swept out to sea, where all the kayaks were quickly swamped. The subsequent investigation into the incident actually resulted in a prosecution of the parent company and the centre manager. The owner of the activity centre was convicted of gross negligence and manslaughter over the deaths. The incident accelerated government discussions to end self-regulation of outdoor centres and the law changed officially in 1995 when an independent licensing authority, the Adventure Activities Licensing Authority, was formed under the guidance of the Health and Safety Executive. Um, Yeah. And, you know, certain turning points in the history of health and safety in schools where all of a sudden everything is tightened up. And for many years, I've been running trips to Iceland. And, you know, one one of the great things about going to Iceland with students is that you take them in these thermal pools where there's there's no supervision. And for the first two or three times we went there, it's like, you know, gosh, this is a, this is a big pool and it's snow and it's cold and the children are disappearing into the mist. We can't actually see them. So we went from we went from that in the early days to, oh, no, you can't go swimming in Iceland anymore. I say, well, well you have to. So, so that was the spur to get, again, updated qualifications because there was no way I was going to take children to Iceland and not allow them to swim. So my, my team of staff who went with me to Iceland were all qualified in that as well. And you'd see other school parties kind of sat in a coach and we would, we would all sort of undress and run across the snow in our bathers and get in a pool. <laughs> um, that's and, and that's the difference, amazing. you see. One of my overriding memories of Iceland was there, were, there was a blizzard and we were going to a waterfall, quite a popular waterfall. And I mean, nowadays, like Sky, it would just be heaving. But um, at the time, there were maybe two or three school coaches there, and there was one coach. And clearly, the teacher didn't really know what to do. So the children sat in the coach, and I think they did a sketch of the waterfall. And as they as they were doing this, our coach got out with everyone in bathers and, and trudged across the snow in a storm, lay flat in the river, and then ran back. And the look in these other children's eyes... I don't know whether it was, well, they're mad or we want to do that. But, you know, it's, oh, it's things like that that make, make memorable trips. Absolutely. Those kids are never going to forget that. But that's, that's the question. You, you just, you've just got to find that little thing, that, that little seed that pulls them in and, and gets them growing and interested in the subject. And believe me, water is the best thing. What about your lockdown swimming? How has how has that changed? Are you still uh, um, still getting to go in or? Oh, absolutely! In fact, I think I think I'll check. But Sunday will be a hundred days in succession. It would be something like two hundred days, except I went down to see my father in Southampton in October, 
and we managed to uh, we managed to find a place to stay. Didn't really want to stay within his house. Um, we found a place to stay with a little pool nearby in the in the new forest and swam there every day. And we actually plotted our route because my wife does a fair bit of swimming with me as well. We plotted our routes between uh, Fort William and Southampton to stop not at a motorway service station or whatever, but to stop at a, a lock or a lake that we spotted en route. So we managed to get the swims in there. But then when we came back up, it was absolutely torrential rain across the highlands in Glasgow. So we stayed in Glasgow for the night. And uh, I thought, no, I should, I should just get arrested if I try and swim in the Clyde. So I missed a day. I missed a day in about October the twentieth or something like that. So I've had to build up, and I think it's a hundred days this weekend. So, so it's it's something we do together a lot of the time. That's um, lovely. We're 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 really we're very lucky here, and I think we we feel very blessed and very thankful because we've got the gorge um, that way. I could I could be there in five minutes down in the river, and over the years I've found safe ways to get down. If I go that way, I've got two little forest lockins. Now they've been frozen over since the end of December, so I've had to go elsewhere. But Loch Lochy, Loch Linny, Loch Arcade are all within half an hour cycle or ten minutes drive. It's almost been a ritual just to get out each day. And when I'm working on the computer every day, as I have been today, and I get double vision um, and neck ache, just to have that middle of the day as a break is wonderful. Oh, fantastic. I remember I was coming off the hill the other day and I bumped into a, a guy who lives down the road. And I know he's been cold swimming for years and he will actually run barefoot through the forest and swim. And that's. And I always just think he was a little bit crazy, but I've started, as I say, swimming all winter. But I bumped into him coming down the bend, and uh, he just had a swim up there, and I was heading for one. He said, yes, he said, there are a lot of people doing that here now. He said, I, I have a feeling you're rather responsible for that. And I didn't know whether be, to be proud or rather apologetic. Anyway, <laughs> there is a lot of places to swim here and a lot of space. And we are very lucky. Yes, it's a beautiful part of the world. You are very lucky. You know, I've, I've swum in the last week almost everywhere and I'm the only person. I mean, the, the, Lochan, the Lochan in the woodland near us... Um, I don't think even, we only have five neighbouring houses here, but I don't think any of them know where it is, you know, oh. un- unless you're prepared to search on Google Earth or an Ordnance Survey map. There's no path to it. We are very much used to being the only people, and that's that's pretty special. Private Lochan in a Highland Forest just jumped to the top of anybody else's dream house must-have feature. Yeah, thought as much. Maybe time to buy a lottery ticket. You've done some other swimming, travelling as well. Yes, we. Um, I mean, the the thing is, my my wife is a much better swimmer than I am. I, I'm not a particularly good swimmer, and in fact, I from my days of snorkeling in Cornwall, 
I used to get so many ear infections that I actually don't really get my ears wet now. So I always swim breaststroke and keep my head above water. And if I do that, my wife will often swim much faster and further than me. But she's from Malaysia, and, and frankly, anything anything less than 25 degrees centigrade is considered cold for her. So, so the fact that she's actually slowly acclimatized and is now not only going into the water in summer but even in winter is just wonderful but uh, we decided we decided a couple of summers ago that um, we do interrail again now we first did interrail before we were married as students where we traveled around europe um, and we decided that we do it as uh, senior citizens now and obviously, we've got a fair network of friends around Europe, and we stayed in a few hotels. But the one thing that we've been very keen to do is, I don't know whether you're aware that in Switzerland, um, the capital city of Switzerland, it's a, a real local attraction to swim through the city on the river. And every summer, there are thousands of people who get in the river. Okay, as a result of this chat, I have spent way too long on Bern.com looking at the incredible river swimming going through the city. It is absolutely making it onto the bucket list for my swimming travelling of the future. Quick reminder here, Neil is a geography teacher. Now, it's a glacial river, so it's quite cool. But the other thing is, it flows really fast. And you think, gosh, the, the risks involved here... I mean, it, it really does fare zoom round. But anyway, to, to actually go round the city and see the Houses of Parliament and the castles and as you're swimming round, and it's set up with lots of um, little piers that jut out so that you can catch them as you go by and pull yourself out. And then, of course, there are many tea rooms and places to get changed. I mean, it's it's absolutely set up. And so we, we did that, and then we, we so enjoyed that that we just ended up booking places on rivers or by lakes and spent our time, yes, yeah, swimming Switzerland and Germany. And But you, you rarely find places better than Logaba, I've got to say. Yeah. If you, think about, if you think about the west of Scotland, I mean, not only is the water quality generally better here, but you've got you've got absolutely everything. I mean, you've got sea locks, freshwater locks. You've got corrie locks high up in the mountains. So mm-hmm. I can tell you without any doubt that me and a friend have had the highest swim in the British Isles because after the uh, snow and the heavy rain back in December, we swam just below Ben McDewey at one thousand one hundred and fifty meters. And I can't think that there is a lock or an area higher than that. Certainly up Ben Nevis, you, you can't find any water, anything like that height. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the lockdown, one of our things was to try and pick off all the lockens rather than the Munros. I mean, we, we've done the Munros. And from the front of the house, we look across the Grey Corries and Anakmore and Ben Nevis. And in every one of the Corries, there is a lochen. Okay, 
what is a corrie? For any other non-mountaineers and non-geographers, a corrie is a hollow found in the side of a mountain that has a steep back and side walls, much like an armchair. They are formed by erosion from ice and glaciers. And when the ice melts, small lakes, tarns or lochens are formed. The prospect of a swim might persuade me to take up hill walking again, but that's quite a big mite. And we've swum in all of those now. I can tell you the coldest was when I wasn't acclimatised back in April um, and May. We wouldn't go to the tops then because of the lockdown, so we kind of stayed within cycling and walking distance. But with the the meltwater still coming into them and not being acclimatised, it was Baltic. (laughs) But I do that now. I mean, the water. The water this afternoon. I was in. I was in the Altavulin, which is the burn that comes off Ben Nevis. Mm-hmm. And it was surrounded by snow and I had the thermometer in and it was one degree centigrade. The coldest I've swum was uh, 0.5, which was in the river down here. But it's it's good now. I mean, you know, I am acclimatized. I don't I don't have that uh, shock now of getting in. Yeah, the only the only concession I've made is that my wife got me some um, neoprene gloves. And I've got to say that I must have lots of sensory points at the end of my fingers because the gloves make a huge difference, just a huge difference. Um, You know, I only wear a pair of lathers. Frankly, I'm not mobile enough to get in and out of a wetsuit. And usually I'm walking or cycling, so the hassle of um, having a wetsuit, it just wouldn't be worth it. But the gloves do make a difference. So occasionally you get this sort of electric pulse going up the inside of your arms when it's really cold, but the gloves have almost put a stop to that. Yeah, I'm a bit of a obsessive for my neoprene socks. They're the ones that I can't really live without. I didn't put them on this year until the end of November, and it's just that first swim with them on. I was like, oh, yeah, this is better. (laughs) I've forgotten how brilliant they are. I just look at the way... I just look at the way my wife, who is a ballet dancer, fights to get them on and off and think, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> Trick is to put a scabby old pair of socks on underneath just so that the you can break the seal on yes. them really easily and just peel them off. Yeah, but that's if you can reach your feet properly. <laughs> yeah, that is necessary. <laughs> Okay, this is really just a quick note for myself, but I really need to do some proper research on mobility and wild swimming. If anybody has got any good resources for that, please DM me. As I say, it's an equaliser. I mean, if, if we cycle or walk, I'm twice as quick as my wife. If we swim, it's the other way around. So it's, it is really something we can do together, as long as she can cope with the cold and she can be bothered to wait for me. Thank you, Neil. That was fascinating. I have a sudden urge to finally do as my mother has been telling me for 20 years and go into teaching, preferably somewhere I can swim to school. Now, Neil says that he doesn't have anything to plug, but he has sent me a couple of photographs of his wild swims, which I will be posting on Instagram and Facebook. I highly recommend checking them out. He has some really pretty locations. You can contact me via Instagram and Facebook at Pod, and please follow the links that you find there and in the show notes to my Patreon. If you can spare £3 a month to support the podcast, it will allow me to continue meeting such inspirational swimmers. Thank you, as always, to Mary St Mary of the Housecoat Project for allowing me to use the theme music. You can find links to her work in the show notes. Until next time, continue wild women. Gonna win my sister's soul, cause baby she don't